the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to discuss the power of labels and words, our top five breakfast cereals, and then we're joined by Rich and Susan Collenberg, hosts of Freedom to Choose. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us. As we said, we have made it through the week. Happy That's what Friday. I was just thinking. This feels like a big week to make it through, Brian. Our first <laughs> week together on the show. We did it. We did it. Now, in all fairness, we started on Wednesday. <laughs> I suppose that's true. So next week is really when we celebrate. But yeah. listeners, you made it. It's Friday for you. So well done. Woke up this morning to the Today Show uh, talking about the death oh, of Prince Philip in England. Now, again, it is sad, but the ripe young age of 99. Right, so all, right. all death is sad, but every now and then you're like, well, 99. But He lived got, a good life. He did. And so, the, you know, they're mourning over there in England. You and I talked about this at one point when you were guest hosting, but uh, your thoughts on the royal family. Do you enjoy the royal family? What do you think of the royal family? I mean, as an American, I feel like it's a little unfair to make judgments on the royal family. But from afar, I love the royal family. I think I told you on the on the wedding day with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, I I mean, I got a big hat. I I went to a friend's house. We had tea. We, we were there very early because of the time difference. We watched the whole day and we celebrated. I'm sad to see some of the things that are coming out. I'm sad that they're mourning today, but it's... They're sort of like, since we don't have royalty in America, it sure is fun to pay attention to just what the royal life is like and what they do. Are you a fan? I think you're a fan, aren't you, Brian? So I'm a general fan of just uh, like People Magazine stuff. So yeah, you know, I read that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I do. And you and I talked about this before. It does make me sad because you do realize mm-hmm. they're a family and they are mm-hmm. under such a microscope. Some of you are out there going, yeah, uh, have you seen how much money they get for being the royal family? Totally right, right. get it. Right. Uh, but especially the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry stuff just makes me sad watching. I do want to point out uh, that you said we don't have a royal family here in the United States of America. Uh, have you met the Kardashians before? Have you seen the show? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm the youthful one of the show between the two of us. So obviously I know who the Kardashians are and obviously I watch their show, but that is not, let's not say they're royalty. They're, that's the American version of royalty. I, I admire the class and the high caliber of the true royal family. And Queen Elizabeth is just amazing. I yeah. love her. I love her faith. I love her little corgis. Like she's just she's precious to me. Yeah, absolutely. And so wanted to start there because it is big news today. Sad. Across the it's pond, very sad. As they yeah. say. And what we learned is that Aubrey treats royal weddings like most of us treat the Super Bowl. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's accurate. That is accurate. In place of the Super Bowl. That's what I do. <laughs> do you go to a Super Bowl? No, but royal oh. weddings I am in for. But I will be there if anyone is getting married of royalty. I think I told you this before. This is kind of dark and sad, but. 
the first date I ever went on with my with my wife. So when we were in college, our first date, I dropped her off at her uh, apartment, went back to my apartment, turned on the television to see that Princess Diana had passed away. Oh, yeah, that was that was sad. And then Mother Teresa died the same was it day or the same week? The or same something? week. I do yeah, remember. Yeah, that. that was oh. a devastating week in history. Yeah, three world changing things happened that week. Those two, and then me going on a date with my wife for the first time. <laughs> finally, <so. laughs> finally, you, you you manned up and you took her out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so, anyway, what I want to talk a little bit about here as well is you're a writer. So, I want to pick your brain on this. Something that I've noticed you and I go through lots of stories, we're trying to stay up on the news. In both culturally, but also in the Christian world, I feel like we have become much more accustomed now in a negative way to just labeling people, right? Mm. So how do I shut down conversation? There's a couple different ways if I disagree with you. If I call you woke, if I call you you Marxist, if I call you uh, on the other side, if I call you a Trump supporter or Trumpian, uh, there's all under the umbrella of cancel culture. It feels like we, in a way have gotten to a point where on social media or just in conversation, I'm just going to throw this label on you because that allows me to disregard you or put you in a box. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. I'm curious. You're a writer. You kind of are on social media. You think about these things. Uh, Do you think I'm right that this is an increasing thing in our in our world and more so talk to the danger of it? Yeah. You know, I wonder if it's an increasing thing. I feel like we've always had the potential to do this, but because of the power of social media and the ubiquitous nature of social media, it does seem we're more aware of it now. Certainly it's happened. I mean, I was even thinking about this in, in the nineties there was a time when uh, women's empowerment, you know, feminists were called feminazis. And that was a way to just say, we are not going to take these women seriously. So we have had this tendency to like put these labels on people as a, almost as a way to, it's like a distraction from what people are actually saying or what the cries of people's hearts are. Mm. So it's easy for me to call you woke, Brian, Mm -hmm. but then I don't have to take you seriously. Right. Or it's easy for me to call you a Marxist. And then I don't, again, I don't have to take your claims at face value. I can just, yeah, it's a, to me, it's a way to keep distant from actual human beings Mm. and a distraction from actual important conversations that need to take place. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this has probably always been what we do. It's just social media and Twitter specifically have raised the bar on it because you could do it. But you watch it on on social media and immediately somebody will call something something woke. That's when we used already. And it just Mm -hmm. is meant to make certain people mad and kind of label it uh, or you're called a you know, everybody who might agree with called a white supremacist and you're putting that box or this. And and also you're like, wait a minute. No, I want to have a nuanced conversation here about this. Uh, And I do think it's particularly dangerous for the church. I see this a lot of with my Christian friends using these titles on Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. and throwing them out. Don't you think that this is this is especially bad and especially dangerous for those of us who claim to follow Jesus? I agree, because it, you know, here at the Common Good, we're passionate about the things that we have in common, right? We're passionate yeah. about building bridges. And all of that, the only thing that does is build walls. The only thing that does is build barriers. And we're called in Christ to be one. We're called in Christ to be family. We're called in Christ to build each other up and encourage one another. And so to be able to... um 
just get rid of those labels and actually get to know someone, even if you might disagree with them, even if you're in a different place politically or ideologically or whatever, uh, that allows you to see that person as a whole person and then maybe hear a perspective you might not hear otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And so wanted to bring that up for people to wrestle with. I'll never forget, Eden and I first started the show a couple of years ago and somebody wrote back after one portion of the show that we talked about. He said, I've no, I don't need to ever need to listen to this show again. And and he listed all of these different titles for mm. us, including woke and this and that. And we were like, mm. wow, I didn't know we were all of that in the span of eight minute conversation. <laughs> wow, you really, you really got to know us, didn't you? <laughs> you got us. And so I think we, especially as Christ followers, need to take this conversation very seriously. So mm-hmm. you said, what's it look like to build bridges? rather than to put up walls. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to Rich and Susan Collenberg. They have an amazing story uh, that now they have out of their story. They have co-founded a ministry called Just As I Am Ministries. They're also hosts of Freedom to Choose, which is heard every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. here on AM 1160. Uh, Rich and Susan are going to join us. I will tell you, I did this interview before even Aubrey started on the show, so you will only hear me. Aubrey did not walk out on them, (laughs) Uh, but it's just me doing the interview. Coming up next with Rich and Susan Collenberg here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined on the phone uh, by the co-founders of Just As I Am Ministries and the hosts of a show called Freedom to Choose, which is heard every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. right here on AM 1160. That is Rich and Susan Collenberg. Rich and Susan, really glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Uh, I, I would love to uh, just begin with your guys' stories because your stories are powerful. So, Rich, I know it's hard to encapsulate a story in a short amount of time, but Rich, why don't you go first and let our listeners know a little bit of your story? OK, well, the Reader's Digest uh, condensed version is something <laughs> yeah. like, uh, you know, I graduated high school with honors and I went sideways immediately after that. Hmm. Um. And I kind of woke up at age 41, a drug addict and um, an alcoholic, and Mm. I was sleeping in a one-room shack uh, with the chemicals to cook methamphetamine buried underneath my sleeping bag, and that wasn't in my graduation speech. (laughs) Wow. through, uh, Through a series of seemingly small, insignificant choices... I got out so far where if you'd asked me mm. when I graduated, was that where, where my plans were, you know, at age 41? And it wasn't uh, by any stretch, but it happened. And yeah. addiction is cunning. And um, it has you convinced that you don't have a problem until you're so sick that uh, there's no no other alternative than to understand that you do have a problem. And I think that's where I finally got to, yeah. you know, 24, 25 years later. Oh, praise God. That's that's a powerful story. Susan, I know you have much the same story. Could you share a little bit of your story with our listeners as well? Sure. I have a similar story, except um, I started a little bit earlier than Rich um, because of some uh, real bad childhood trauma. I was sexually molested over several years when I was young. Um, I found that one way that I could 
escape when I was 10 years old was to start smoking and drinking. And that kind of started my path down um, 25 years of drug abuse. Um, By the time I was in high school, I was using cocaine and Mm. um, it just kept, you know, I was always searching for more. I, there was this deep, dark hole inside of me and I, and I just tried anything that I could to fill it. It seemed to work for a little bit, but then I needed something stronger. Um, I was arrested several times and went to jail for um, mm. selling narcotics and being under the influence. And I was in and out of jails. I did a geographical. I, I moved to Hawaii, and the first person I met was a drug addict and, mm. and ended up a mess there. So I came back to, to California, and um, I met somebody that... Um, our main goal in life was getting and using drugs, and we became good friends and partners. And um, the last time that I was arrested, I went to jail, and I told this man that um, it was over. I couldn't see him anymore. And he said, don't worry, Susan. You won't know um, that I'm using. And I said, yes, I would. And I was I was finally mm-hmm. released out of jail. And um, when I was in jail the last time, um, I was probably about 25 pounds lighter than what I am today, and, and I'm pretty light to begin with. And wow. my hair was falling out. My teeth were falling out. And um, somebody prayed with me, and I don't even remember what the prayer was. All I knew is that um, I never had the obsession to use drugs after that. So when I got out of jail, I told the guy, um, he came to my house, and I said, you know what, if you don't leave, I'm going to call the police, because finally, for one time in my life, I wanted to live. And I knew that wow. God had saved me from where I had been and I no longer wanted to die. And so I told mm. the guy, you got to leave. So I left. <laughs> <laughs> so he was that guy. I was that guy. Wow. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so I went home and took inventory and that's, uh, I realized at that point that everything I'd done in my life up to that point was wrongly wow. motivated and wrong. And somehow God, I remember laying face down on, on the bed screaming at the top of my lungs for God to help me. And I didn't care who heard me. I was screaming as loud as I could. And something happened. And um, the obsession to use was lifted. And so we had like 10 years where we used together. And um, after I had gotten out of jail and he had gotten clean and sober, we kind of got back together. And, um, you know, we realized that living together was not God's plan for us. And um, we decided to get married. And we got Mm. married six months after that. And we made one promise to each other. We had one goal in life, and that goal was to search for God as hard as we searched for drugs. And here we are today. (laughs) Oh, praise God. What a powerful story that is. Thank you so much for telling it. Uh, That really is powerful. Rich, let me ask you, uh, like we said, you guys host a show called Freedom to Choose. It's heard uh, right here Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 1160. Why don't you describe for us your radio program? What can listeners expect when they tune into Freedom to Choose? Um, You know, we range um, up and down the the spectrum, if you will, of principle-based living um, and you know, the difference between intelligence and nature, you know, Solomon was this, the wisest man in the world, but he couldn't control his nature. And there's no mm-hmm. correlation between the two. And so we, you know, we mainly stress that we have a human nature problem. And if that's making our decisions for us, it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol, drugs, jealousy, anger, money, it doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, it will get us. 
And the devil yeah. knows where our weaknesses are. And so basically in a nutshell, and we do several series right now, we're on the addiction series and, and we basically talk about uh, just being caught up in your nature ruling you, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and uh, the beautiful thing is that God can come into each one of our lives and through his principles and his design laws, he can change us and restore us and we yeah. can become um, new creatures in Christ. Uh, yeah, powerful. you know, what we found was the Bible is not about Solomon's and David's and Moses's and Paul's. It's about a God who can take these people who have done despicable things and change them mm-hmm. into people that can write in Holy Scripture. And that boggles my mind, but that's really what the program is about. It's about a God that can take anybody as damaged, as tore up, as weak as afraid, as broken as we were, or as Paul was, or as David was, or as Solomon was. And God can take people like us and turn it around and and use it for good somehow. That's right. It's mind-boggling. That's right. Susan, uh, again, I feel like I could talk to you guys forever, but with like the last two minutes or so we have left, there's probably somebody out there listening even right now as we speak who is struggling with addiction and thinking, I'll never be able to break free, whether it's drugs or gambling or alcohol or whatever else it might be. Uh, Understanding your past, what would you say to someone who's feeling that way right now? That no matter how far you've gone down in your life, that God is able to restore you back to sanity and that there is hope for anybody as well as families who are struggling with people who are, who are um, addicted in one way or the other, that there are tools that are available to each and every one of us, that God works mm-hmm. through many ways um, to, to restore people back into wholeness and one with him. And so we, you know, we have a lot of resources that we offer in our program, and we send them out for free because we've been blessed and been given so much that that's what our little, our little ministry does as well. That's great. And Rich, before I let you guys go, how about to the family member out there who's got a family member that they know is in the throes of addiction? Uh, How maybe can family members help a loved one that they see struggling and that's causing so much pain? Well, well, first off is don't stop praying. Hmm. And second, secondly, Susan and I have found is sometimes don't get in God's way. Because I know Hmm. for her and for, for me, we had to be brought down to the very bottom. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and that's the only way God could get a hold of our hearts. And I think he does that. I think he knocks us all off our horse in some way, shape or form. And so, um, it, you know, it's a, it you can't paint that one with a broad brush. It's very right. hard. Sometimes jail is the right place for someone to go. Yes. So yeah. you never know, you know, and then God's real good at that. He's real good <laughs> at, yeah. at knocking someone off their horse, but not making the light too bright, you know? Yeah, that's a really good word. I know that's probably helpful for somebody out there. Again, this is Rich and Susan Collenberg, co-founders of Just As I Am Ministries. The website is exactly that, justasiamministries.com. That's justasiamministries.com. They've also co-authored a book called Clean, Seven Steps to Freedom. And they're also the hosts of Freedom to Choose, which is heard every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. right here on AM 1160. Uh, Rich and Susan, thank you so much for sharing your story, and I'm sure that people will be blessed through your ministry, uh, through your radio show. This has been a great pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Thank Thank you you. so much for having us. 
Oh, absolutely. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Uh, Excited to be together. Looking forward to a great weekend. All right. I found this at the Gospel Coalition. You and I are both pastors. You're at Renewal Church uh, in West Chicago. I'm at Four Corners Community Church uh, in Darien. And uh, I found this really interesting because I think this is something we all wrestle with. This uh, author by the name of Tet George wrote this. It says, younger believers, older saints, you need each other. So before mm. we cut, there's a list in here about how we do this well or why we need each other, why it's important. Uh, but but how would you answer that question? Not how do we get there, but why is it so much richer and so important that churches are not just a young church, an old person mm-hmm. church, a white church, a black church? Why is this important specifically here when we're talking about generations? Well, I think one, it's the body of Christ, right? Yeah. And all throughout scripture where, you know, the the elderly or the elders are called to pour into the youngers and the youngers are called to take care of the older ones. And so I think it's a biblical precedent. But also, I mean, I know for me, I want two things. I want to learn from older Christians mm-hmm. who have run their race with faithfulness because they have so much wisdom and the things that we get caught up in right now, they're not caught up in and they can give us, they can give us perspective that is so helpful. And then I also want to hear from the younger believers because they've got new passion and new energy and new things they're excited about when it comes to following Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and I never want to get stale. So I want to learn from them. What, uh, what about you? Yeah, I just think there's there there's also uh, just it, it adds to the depth of your community, right? Like, right. Uh, when when I can when I can learn from people, you know, when Carrie and I can interact with uh, with a couple at church who's been married for fifty years, <laughs> right? Yes. We go, okay, there's some stuff that they can tell us about endurance and about long lasting relationship and right. all of this. Uh, and when you just talk to people who've been where you are currently or where you're wanting to go, right? When, when you're in the throes of, of having little kids and you could talk to that couple who's like, listen, we've been there. It will, Here's you will it make it through. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like even think about a dinner last night. Uh, you guys and us were, were talking about, man, how hard was it to be a pastor when our kids were little and right. you were sharing stories about how you wouldn't even get to church because it yep. was too hard. Yeah. And I just remember moments back then where you just wanted to throw in the towel. Like I yes. remember Carrie having those conversations. And then you talk to people who've been there who could tell you, listen, like they're not always going to be in diapers or they're not yeah. always going to be or whatever else it might be. Uh, and I think for older people, what I think sometimes we lose is uh, th- that that you in your 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever else, you could gain from the people in their 20s and their 30s kind right. of a different perspective. Right. It, Maybe a not, new way to think about things. Yes. And so this is not just about younger people hearing from older people, which it is, but but it's also vice versa. It goes back and forth. Uh, and I think, you know, when, when churches just... Um, you know, program or structure themselves to just be this slice, right? Like we're, we're shooting for the millennials. Right. <laughs> like, right. Well, then you, guess, guess what your struggle is going to be. You're going to have a room full of millennials. That's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's and, yep, yep. And it goes the other way. How do you do this though? If, if uh, someone came to you and said, you know what, Aubrey, we're starting a church. Mm-hmm. I want it to be really intergenerational. Mm-hmm. I want to be strategic about mm-hmm. that. How, how do you do this? 
So at Renewal Church, um, you know, Kevin and I are both this uh, 43. I'm a young 43. Obviously, you're an old 43, right? <laughs> young 43. But, um, <laughs> and I'm sure this is true at your church. Then the median age of our folk tend to be 10 years younger, 10 years older. That's exactly right. Um, but what we do as best as we can is uh, organize our renewal communities, which is like our small groups. We organize them around um, not stages of life, but around where people live. And so because of that, most of our renewal communities, now not all of them, but most of them are made up of people who are married, single, older, younger, um, multi-generational. And that's, I think, one way to begin is that you just begin to have community with people that are of different generations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This article that you referenced earlier from the Gospel Coalition, they talk about how intergenerational fellowship helps us see beyond our circumstances. And that's where we start, intergenerational fellowship. Now, I would say we will certainly need to get better at it, but it are it is something that we're striving for. How do yeah. you do it at your church, <clears throat> at Four Corners? Yeah, I don't think it's always been done well. And that's what I enjoy about doing this show is that you and I can kind of say, hey, this is kind of the goal. I'm not right. sure that we always do it well. Like sometimes I, I want to make sure that, that we know this, but that others are like, oh, man, they're killing it in this, this, this. Nope. We we struggle with this as pastors uh, yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think that we've tried to do through our 11 years is to just have fun with like the whole church and our church size allows us to do that. So uh, we've been old school, so old school that we'll do multiple potluck dinners during oh, the I year. Oh, I love potluck dinners. Yeah. I miss uh, those. Exactly. This is very pre-COVID, but yeah. Uh, and our church loves them and we'll do picnics and we'll do stuff where it naturally is a bunch of people in their 20s, a bunch of people in their midlives, a bunch of people who are older. Just yeah. And the common denominator is not age. It's not even Bible study. The common denominator is just food and Love laughing it. and just being together. And, and that seems to have worked as well. You know, this article that we we're talking about, it gives three practical, uh, three particular ways that, that intergenerational groups or intergenerational kind of life allows you to thrive. Let me just read this list. He says, intergenerational fellowship leads to organic discipleship. That's kind of mm. what we talked about, right? Older mm-hmm. to younger, younger to older. Yep. You reference number two, intergenerational fellowship helps us see beyond our circumstances. Kind of what we talked about before. You're not yep. always going to be in the toddler stage. You're yes. not always going to be in God. whatever stage. <laughs> Praise God. And number three, intergenerational fellowship lends itself to practical service. So you're mm. you're helping people. So I think this is great. We'll put this up on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram page, our new Instagram page. That's right. Uh, at Common Good Talk. I think this is something important for churches to strive for, uh, to be multi-ethnic, to be, uh, but also intergenerational. What's it look like to have many different ages? We'll put yeah, that that's up. right. Uh, at our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, we we kick something off on Wednesday, something that I have uh, very creatively called top five list because <laughs> it's going to be a list of five things. Uh, coming up next, I'm going to ask Aubrey her top five breakfast cereals. Ooh, We're gonna this is a good one. one. We're going to debate this one next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for being with us today as we sprint into the weekend. The weekend is coming. Hopefully, you get some relaxing time with your friends, with your family. Also, hopefully, you get the chance to worship with your church community on Sunday morning, whether your church is doing in person or you're still virtual. Uh, Let us 
as two pastors, encourage you to the importance of of uh, being with your church community on Sunday. So hopefully that is a part of your weekend. We look forward to being back together on Monday here on The Common Good. Okay, Aubrey, kind of when you have started here, all I can't even hardly remember, you started a full three days ago. No, two days ago. A full <laughs> Feels like two ago. years ago. It's been two <laughs> years in the past three like, days. <laughs> have you been here longer than Ian? I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, as I as I look way back to the beginning at our first show, what we did, we did uh, sometimes I want people just to get to know us, to be able to mm-hmm. engage and just laugh. Not everything needs to be serious. Right. And so yeah, it's good to uh, have fun. Yeah. If you want it, to, if you want serious, go back to the open of the show when we talked about wokeism and Marxism. So go ahead. <laughs> go yeah. on back. Uh, but That's we a good int- serious one. There you go. We introduced something called our top five list. Very creative name. Top five list. I'm sure this will morph. Uh, over the over the years, yesterday I introduced a segment called "Am I Just Am I a Jerk or Justified?" Enjoyed that was good. That. that was very fun. And let us, I know she doesn't like when we do this, but our producer, Debbie, how about the open she made? That was amazing. <laughs> I am I'm obsessed with it. I love it so much. So way to go, Debbie. Yeah, so super thankful for Debbie and her creativity. So we'll bring that one back too. Am I a jerk or am I justified? I can't wait till you go. No jerk on that one. I know. I was thinking yesterday I was pretty kind to you. So I I hope you really bring it. I I want you to bring some real jerk dumb next. So really, my goal is just to do things on a weekly basis. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be a jerk here. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll start trying that too. And we can see if I'm a jerk. Yeah. Top five list here today. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Top five breakfast cereals. I love breakfast cereal. Like <gasps> you and I both went to Wheaton. One of the highlights of Wheaton oh. was like that whole lineup of breakfast cereals. I still miss that cereal bar. Too, <laughs> the cereal bar was the best. I told you, my daughter and I made a uh, college visit up to Hope uh, College a, a week or two ago in Holland, Michigan. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Did their did their like cafeteria remind me of Wheaton? I'm like, I <gasps> really? So much weight here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do they have a cereal bar at Hope? They did, but they had all these different sections of like comfort food, foods from around the world. Stop it. It was unreal. I was like, okay, sign me up for this. Let's go back to college. No, we're all going back. And the soft serve ice cream like we had at Wheaton. So that was uh, that was that was like not good for my just general health, but so good for my soul. That is okay. So, do you want to go from five to one or one to five here? Oh, 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 oh! Let's go five to one. But I want you to start. Okay, okay. That that is fair. Okay. Uh, my my number five list on my top five list of breakfast cereals. I am going to go frosted mini wheats. Frosted mini wheats. Interesting. I, I love frosted mini wheats. They they soak up the milk. <clears throat> Man, I can eat them dry. Frosted mini wheats. What's your number five? I feel like that's really healthy. Okay. No, the, the frosted part makes them not <laughs> Yes, healthy. that's true. Okay. My number five is just an old school classic, Lucky Charms. I love some marshmallow and some uh, texture in my cereal. Uh, I will give you a preview. Lucky Charms will come in much higher on my list. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> much higher. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Fruit Loops. Uh, oh, oh, I I don't like fruity cereal, but you tell me why you like Fruit Loops. Because I do like fruity cereal. Oh, okay. <laughs> more like more so I like sugary cereal. And so again, uh I kind of also tend these towards can I eat them dry? Do I like to eat them oh, dry? Oh, like a like a little snack. You just grab a handful and you go. Correct. Correct. Okay. Fruit Loops, number four. 
Okay. Now my number four, I'm actually doing on behalf of my kids because I told them about that we were going to talk about this. And they said, mom, you have to say this cereal because it's their favorite. It's actually not mine, but I'm, I'm doing a solid for, for your my kids. family. Yes. Okay. This one is none other than, uh, the, the captain of the ship himself, the captain of cereals himself, Captain Crunch. Okay. I do not like Captain Crunch. That might surprise you there, but I am, uh, I'm not a fan of Captain Crunch. Why do your kids like that so much? I mean, I guess because it's just like literally pure sugar. It's like they're eating dessert. When they eat Captain Crunch, I think it's kind of disgusting, but they're, they're big fans. Kevin actually really liked Captain Crunch too. We always have it in the house. Okay. Okay. So this one, by the way, this would be more honorable mention, uh, but you just made me think of it with dessert like breakfast cereals. Uh Do you remember Cookie Crisp? Where it was literally oh, mini cookies. Cookie Crisp. <laughs> oh, my mouth is watering. I used to love Cookie Crisp. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was like, uh, this isn't healthy. <laughs> this isn't good. Uh, but yeah, no, I love Cookie Crisp. All right, number three. This is probably the one I eat the most and my son eats the most okay. in our house. Uh, and it is Honey Bunches of Oats. Wow. you. These are surprising choices. I'm... I, Honey bunches of oats. I don't even know if I've ever had that one. You need to because it's a great mix of like, you know, it's just it's like regular shit. But then the the big like clumps of oat. Oh, it's really good. Really good. Honey bunches of oats seems like one of those cereals that is pretending to be healthy. But we all know it's really not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Cookie Crisp. That's like, I am right. not healthy. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like I'm anything other than I am Cookie Crisp. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. What are we up to for you? Number, okay, I number, first, three, number three. three. I am giving a nod to seasonal cereals with number three. So I'm thinking Count Chocula, Booberry, Frankenberry, <laughs> Elf, Elf cereal that comes out at Christmas. So like all seasonal cereals are my number three. I've never heard the phrase <laughs> seasonal cereals. I may have made that up, but it's a thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, that one. That was good. All right, I'm going to surprise you with number two. Because okay. It okay. Is can't wait. Probably the healthiest one on my list. <gasps> Uh, I actually, and I don't know even know why, I'm a big fan of just old school life cereal. Oh, life cereal is a good cereal. I was afraid you were going to say grape nuts, so I'm glad oh, you did gosh. it. No, no, yeah, no. yeah. And okay. one of the biggest arguments in my house around breakfast cereals is my wife loves plain Cheerios, and I think they're the grossest thing in the world. Yes, yeah, loves they're them. nasty. Wow. Loves them. So, all right, okay. I I went with uh, with life cereal. Okay. For number, two. number two is probably my my most healthy option. That is Special K Chocolatey Delight. Special K cereal with little bits of chocolate in it. It's amazing. I eat that. I used to eat that almost every night before bed. It's kind of my bedtime snack. Aubrey, I'm learning about you that now, see, this is why this is good. You went, this is my healthiest option. And you said special K. I was like, yeah. And then you're like, with chocolate <laughs> delight. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. It got mentioned earlier. <gasps> number my one. number one breakfast cereal. I feel like we need a drum roll. Da, 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 da. Uh, is Lucky Charms. It, has that's always, your number one. Has always been Lucky Charms. Will always be Lucky Charms. <laughs> when our kids were little, uh, my wife, that became our um, vacation cereal, my kids would refer to it. We'd always buy it for vacation. Vacation cereal. Uh, yeah, I regularly, especially as a kid, I'll still do it now. Like, I will eat, like, the, the regular part so I only have marshmallows left. Like, yeah. I, I, become a, I become a child when I eat Lucky Charms. So, yes, now, that was your number five that at, is definitely at my one number point one. there was a like an oops lucky charms where it was just all the marshmallows in no, a box no that was like a 
Okay. 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 You don't, you're not just going to buy the box of marshmallows. No, you got to earn the marshmallows. Like okay. it's like it's like your dessert. So, yep. Number one. All right. I'm excited. I'm okay. excited. What's are number you, one for you? Are you ready? Are I you am. ready for this? I I really after seasonal cereals, I have no idea where you're going. <laughs> okay, you're going to think it's healthy, but just listen to the whole thing. My number one cereal is Rice Krispie Treats cereal. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it's a rice. It's like marshmallow sugar, rice crispy, like marsh, rice crispy treats in a cereal. It is amazing. And you know how cereal, like the milk after yeah. the cereal is gone, is is some of the best. Like yeah, that's the treasure, really. <laughs> rice crispy treats milk is is a bonus for sure. Uh, that is gross, but I will, I will give that to you. And, and you say the milk at the end. I've got to be honest. My wife, she drinks the milk. My kids, they drink the milk. I dump the milk when I'm done. <gasps> Brian. I do. I feel like we need to analyze this. Why? No, I don't know. I've okay. always dumped the milk when okay, it's Okay, we'll done. come so, back to that. That feels important to get to know about you. Why? Yep. Yeah, it's a character flaw. I will give it to you, but I'm sure. <laughs> it's a sin. There you go. So those are our top five breakfast cereals. We'd love to know yours. Uh, or if you've got other top five lists that you'd love to hear, we'll kind of make this a, not a daily, but a regular portion of like the it. show. Well, coming up next hour, coming up next, there's a survey. About 57% of people in the U.S. are searching for something very specific. And I think the church has the answer. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, 57% of the people in the United States who were surveyed are looking for this. And then we're joined by Kent Annan, Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. We've made it to the weekend. Hopefully you are driving home here in the five o'clock hour. Hopefully your work day is complete and you are looking forward to some uh, just some rest and relaxation, whatever it looks like for you to unplug over the weekend. Uh, we are all over the social medias, as the kids say. Uh, <laughs> we're on the gram. We're on the, the Twitter. Yep. Yep. On, on the Facebook. Facebooks, Twitters, and Instagrams. That's where we are at Common Good Talk. <laughs> Wait, and don't forget Alexa. You can say, Alexa, play AM yep. 1160, Hope for Your Life, The Common Good, and she turns it on for you. She does. And and I would say if there's enough groundswell for it, maybe you'll find us on TikTok. We're not there at the moment. but, but uh, <gasps> That would hey. be an interesting campaign, Brian and Aubrey on TikTok. That means you got to learn a lot of dance routines, Brian. Yeah, I suspect it won't be Brian and Aubrey. I suspect it will be Aubrey. <laughs> Maybe Aubrey and our producer, Debbie. We can get there her doing go. her improv and I can do some dance moves and then we're good. It could be the two of you. It could be Marcus, our program director. It could be any of you as long as I am not in that frame. I don't care who else is in it. <laughs> I want to I see you dance, Brian. I don't know. I don't know. This needs you to happen. Maybe someday the Sampsons and the Fromms will be at a wedding together sometime and you will see the conversation going on of my wife going, please, let's dance and me going, mm, not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, we can dream. We can dream. Yes. Yes. Someday. Someday. OK, I, I teased this earlier. There was a new poll that came out 
uh, that said 57% of people surveyed in the U.S. Uh, are searching for very something very specific. Let me read the article from Christian Headlines to get us into it, because I'd love to know kind of your feedback on it. It says, a worldwide pandemic apparently has led Americans to think more about the meaning and the purpose of life. Hmm. According to a new Lifeway research survey, which found that 57% of U.S. adults during the pandemic say they ponder at least monthly the question, how can I find more meaning and purpose in my life? In 2011, that number was down at 51%. Wow. 21% of Americans think about the meaning of life daily compared to 18% in 2011. An additional 21% said they ponder it weekly. Uh, but compared to 2011, Americans are less sure about what lies on the other side of death, according to the poll. Only 43% of adults strongly agree that there is more to life than the physical world and society. Uh, in 2011, 67% of the people agreed with that. Oh, statement. interesting. So it's really turned. There's other stats in here that are interesting, but that's kind of the headliner that increasingly people are looking for meaning purpose in life and there's got to be more to this life so before we make the obvious tie to churches and christ followers yeah. and the opportunity that's out there uh what do you just think about those numbers in general you know i would uh, what it brings to mind for me is that the pandemic uh, for the first time in a while caused us to think about our limited humanity yeah and our uh, frailty, right? The fact that death is a reality. And I, I think it can be easy as Americans to go through life not thinking that we're going to die. I, I don't know what it is about Americans, but we are so sure we're going to like never die That's an right. untimely death. And so the pandemic, I think, scared us, especially early on, and forced us to consider um our life expectancy for the first time. Yeah. And because of that, of course, you begin to question what is the meaning of life? What do I want to leave as a legacy? And then what am I, what does death even mean? Yeah. What do, you know, and so I, I do think it's interesting the way God works that even in this really horrible pandemic, certainly this is opening people up to be very sensitive to the gospel in a way maybe they weren't before. Yeah, I think that's well put. I, I do think it's this idea of meaning and purpose. People have looked at a pandemic around them going, gosh, everything, you know, uh, it doesn't matter how rich somebody is. That hasn't helped them from the pandemic. Yeah. It doesn't matter necessarily what uh, race. I know, I know things have broken down a little bit around socioeconomic and sure. racial, but in general, sure. Uh, it hasn't been, you know, all the poor people got sick or all this or all that. And, and I think it's made people go, wow, there must be more to life than how much money I make or yeah. uh, how many possessions I accumulate or how much fun I have or whatever else. Uh, and it has caused people to go, OK, uh, what is there that's out there? Uh, so I, I'm not surprised by this. It is very telling. What would you say then? What's the opportunity here? How can the church step in here uh, individually and corporately and go, hey, you know, we've got the answer. What, what does that look like right now for the church? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it's an incredible opportunity for the church to say we have the answer in Jesus Christ. We have the answer in the gospel. We have the hope of not just heaven, which is an incredible hope that we have because of Jesus, but we also have a purpose. We have meaning. We have mission because God has called us his own and has called us to make disciples. And so I think we are just like 
beautifully positioned to engage in conversations either online or with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members. And even to use this, I mean, this is kind of interesting. You could use this article as a point of conversation. Hey, I was reading this article where uh, so-and-so was saying that, you know, 57% of U.S. adults are beginning to ponder the meaning of life. Are you pondering that at all? I mean, you know, it's an interesting topic, certainly, to start bringing up. How do you do it? How do you think we do it? Well, I do think that this speaks to uh, the, the the notion. See, I think a lot of us who are Christians who have dr- who've grown up on this is how you evangelize or this and that. We have we've somehow have gotten to the point where like people who aren't believers don't want to have these conversations mm. like they're going to be insulted if I bring up Jesus. They're going to be uh, I'm going to lose friendship, whatever else it might be. And, yeah. and what what this article is really telling us. Uh, is putting numbers to what we feel out there. It's like, you know what? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, they might be wrestling with this exact question. Like yeah. the door, they might not only be open to a conversation, they might be longing for a conversation. And so then it does take some courage. I'll, I'll grant you that. To Absolutely. Go to these deep places. But I do think there's an opportunity here for us as individuals. First, the question becomes, if you're a Christ follower out there, do you still believe that that's where hope and meaning are found mm. and purpose? Uh, but but okay. as we do believe, yes, it's found in Jesus Christ. Then the question becomes, OK, how can I open myself up to to have these relationships and have these conversations where I can engage with people? And then I think for churches, we've got, we, we can really realize that the opportunity out there might be, <clears throat> excuse me, that that the people in our communities might not be looking for really slick programming. They might not right. be looking for us to be giving them things. Right. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But if we create opportunities for people to truly ask and investigate these questions, yeah, uh, whether it's through a program like Alpha or Christianity Explored or whether mm-hmm. it's just through an opportunity, right? We're opening up our church for a dialogue. I do think there's an opportunity here for us as churches to be creative and just uh, invite people uh, into homes, into our churches yeah. uh, to have these conversations. Aubrey, why don't we close it this way? What would you say to person out there who is a churchgoer and is mm-hmm. a Christ follower, mm-hmm. but has been th- so thrown by the pandemic that they're like, I actually am asking these questions again myself. Oh, wow. That's probably true of a lot more people than they're willing to admit. That's a, I'm glad you're bringing that up. I think I would say to you, your, your doubts and your fears and your questions um, of your faith are part of your discipleship journey. So don't be afraid of them. Don't shame yourself for them and don't hide them. Uh, get with your pastor or get with your Christian community, a small group, and just begin to say those things aloud. And then this is something that I always encourage people to pray who are doubting their faith or who are struggling. And I may have said this on the show earlier this week, but just begin to pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. God, you were once real. Make yourself real to me again. Mm. And God is so personal. God is so merciful. God is so generous that he will show up in the most profound ways and your faith will be encouraged. But as you pray, keep your heart open. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see things. Try not to close yourself off because of cynicism, but open yourself up to the things God is doing all around you. That's really well put. So maybe you're wrestling with this. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be there for you. You can uh, comment on this at our Facebook uh, and Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, we're excited to spend some time with Kent Annan. He is the Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College, author of a book called You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. Also wrote a blog post uh, about vaccines and the church. So we're going to have those conversations next with Kent 
Kent Annan here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. And uh, we are thrilled to be joined by Kent Annan. Kent is the Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College, also the author of You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us, multiple blog posts and articles that we're going to discuss, too. So Aubrey and I are thrilled to have Kent. And mm-hmm. Kent, we're partially thrilled because Aubrey and I are both Wheaton grads. So selfishly, to get Wheaton people on is always our pleasure. Feels but like hey, a big win. Yep, it does. It does. <laughs> Kent, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. So good to be with both of you. It's our pleasure. Hey, Kent, before we dive in, uh, just so our audience can get to know you a little bit more from than from your bio that I just read, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, however you'd like? Yes, I'm grateful to be here at Wheaton now, um, working with my colleague Jamie Ayton to lead the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. And we have a master's program, a master's in humanitarian and disaster leadership. And the way I came to that is uh, much of my career has been working in humanitarian work. So I worked with refugees in Europe for a number of years on two different stints. Uh, my wife and I lived in Haiti for a number of years, and I started a nonprofit with a colleague, and we worked on education with churches and schools in Haiti for about 15 years. I spent a wow. lot of time back and forth there. So I, I really come from that angle and then writing along the way, so trying to think about and be a practitioner in humanitarian issues. That's awesome. What uh, incredible work you've been doing. We love that you're at Wheaton and I love that you're doing the Humanitarian Disaster Institute with Jamie Ayton. So, Kent, one of the things that we've been talking about this week on the show is, of course, the vaccine and a lot of the rumors that are going around about the vaccine. And that seems like something you're passionate about. You and Jamie recently wrote an article about some of the harmful, unfounded thoughts and words that are going around in Christendom about the vaccine. And I just wondered why you felt like you needed to write this article. I think we, it's a great question. I'm really glad you're discussing it. It's so important for individual health, our families, our churches, our communities, and for our country and our world right now. So it's a crucial issue. And we, because Jamie and I had worked in different disasters, I'd uh, worked with refugees, as I said, and then I worked in Haiti after the earthquake. And so, and as part of our job, and so as uh, COVID came, even before it was declared a pandemic, we started working right away over a year ago to help walk with the church, we said, all the way through this. We've been able to walk with and serve churches and nonprofits around the country and around the world step by step and seeing how much people have sacrificed, helping people mourning the loss of loved ones, churches shut down. Everybody knows, you know, what's happened. And so we feel passionate about this issue of vaccines as they come because, you know, as we face so much loss together and people have lost jobs and so, so many other things, to now have this possibility that's come. And for us, it's come, you know, through the hard work of science and through the, the ability that God's given us to use science and all these incredible individuals that have worked hard, public health, scientists, researchers, to come up with this thing that can uh, help us move towards more thriving and safety and love for our neighbors. So we're really passionate about it because it, it feels like a way to be good stewards is to mm-hmm. take this vaccine. 
Yeah. And uh, Kent, uh, Aubrey and I are both pastors as well, uh, kind of our day jobs, right? We're both pastors. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say to pastors? It's a, it's such a minefield right now because you've got people in your congregations who are getting the vaccine, other people who won't. And it's constantly wrestling with like, should I be saying something from the pulpit? What's my role? How would you talk to pastors right now as they shepherd their churches through this? That's interesting. An article just came out today in Christianity Today is saying uh, a lot of pastors are pro-vaccine and the congregation isn't. So there's a bit of a split, you know, in in the church. So I think one is being aware of that, as you both are, you know, that your church and if you're, you're a pastor, you know where the split is, where the divide and where the wrestling is. So I think that's one. I think being humble is always important in this kind of work. I think, we, you know, to not go in uh, judging or condemning or, you know, you know, just all these feelings we have on these tense issues uh, is another to be listening. So what are the real concerns? Because sometimes what people say initially are the concerns. It's science. You know, it might not be so much science. It might be a faith issue. It might be a an emotional issue. It's some kind of mistrust or something that happened in the past. So yeah, these yeah. are a few. Another thing I think about with this, I thought about with my last book, You Welcome Me on Refugees and Immigrants, is to see this as a discipleship opportunity. Hmm. So to me, this is a discipleship opportunity of, you know, where do we get our information? Who do we Hmm. trust? How do we wrestle through these things? So I think that's another part is people feel like pastors, people feel cared for if it's not just, hey, we're going to push you towards this one issue, but hey, how do we walk through this issue as people are growing as followers of Jesus together? Hmm. Um, And I think if we can frame it in those different ways, then that gives the opportunity. And then that may be from the pulpit. You're, each pastor is going to know. That may be from the pulpit. It may be an adult forum. It may be an extra Zoom meeting uh, to do that listening, but also I think to give leadership right now because I think people need trusted voices in their lives to help them think this through and help them to make wise choices for the health of, of their themselves and also for the health of their communities. Right. So, such a good point. Such good, um, helpful tips for us as leaders. I want to transition a little bit because you mentioned your book, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us, an amazing title. How can the church get better in the middle of the refugee and immigration crisis? How can the church get better at loving refugees and immigrants right now in 2021? There aren't as many refugees coming into the country through resettlement. That's a great way that churches are so helpful for people integrating when they do come. Uh, hopefully that's going to be coming. It seems like some public policy announcements hopefully are forthcoming in the next couple of months to do that. And I think through this time, for refugees and immigrants, really anyone vulnerable in our communities during this time of COVID and beyond, it's you know who who might fall through the cracks, who might not be getting public health information, who might have a language barrier to know uh, or, or a technology barrier, you know, to go on a computer to make a vac, uh, appointment for a vaccination. You know, so I think these are some of these ways, like we can advocate for public policy. A lot of those are, you know, happening in D.C. away from us. But on a personal level, who in our community, right, is who's part of our church or who lives nearby needs help? And that could be food bank. It could be relationships. Mm-hmm. It could be tutoring. Um, and it can be help with vaccines is another opportunity right now. Mm. That's good. We're joined by Kent Annan, the director of humanitarian and disaster leadership at Wheaton College. And Kent's going to be kind enough to stay with us coming up here for a little bit longer. Kent, before uh, we close out this kind of first segment, what I would uh, love to know from you is if, if people out there really going back to the vaccine, if they're really skeptical of it, if they've read a lot of stuff that scares them, what are some places that you trust that you would point people, hey, go do the research here? Go read this. Where are some places that maybe you can point people who especially might be a little more skeptical? 
I think you know going to like the CDC and National Health Services are really good. I think the places like you know there can be skepticism about the government. So I think going to places like uh, John Hopkins and other top medical research facilities to see what they're saying is, is really important. And then uh, for those who are Christians, I think looking up and seeing what uh, what people like Francis Collins. Uh, is saying, who's one of the top scientists in the world and is also a faithful Christian. Mm -hmm. And I think looking for those kind of independent sources, look to the best of government sources, and then look for Christians who are, 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 you know, don't have an agenda that's political or something else, but have a agenda that's science-based and also, uh, you know, care for public health. And I think those are the sources that I go to and that I recommend. Yeah, again, Kent Annan is Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College. I'd point people to the Humanitarian Disaster Institute, too. Kent, we mentioned before that you're the author of a book, uh, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. I would love for you to flesh out that connection, that our love for others and our love for refugees and immigrants flows out of God's first loving us. Could you talk to us and help us understand that a little better? Yes, once you start looking at the at all of scripture starting with Genesis all the way through uh, through the eyes of this idea of immigration and migration and people on the move, you really see God's people are on the move all the way through scripture and also that God cares about the migrant, the person who's vulnerable all the way from the beginning and thinking about these codes and laws of, you know, like when you harvest your field, leaving extra along the edges for mm-hmm. widows, but also for the migrant. And so I think we see this kind of welcoming God all the way through scripture. And then if we take it to the way we are welcomed in Christ um, with this incredible, encompassing, grace-filled love, I think that's the place to start as we go into thinking about refugees and immigrants. I was actually writing the book and um, I was sort of stuck as happens whenever I'm writing a book for a while. And, oh, what is this book about? And I was wrestling with my son. He was seven at the time. And I said, hey, you know what I'm writing about? Trying to catch my breath. And he didn't care, of course. What I was he just wanted to wrestle. And, and then he pauses. And I said, oh, immigrants and refugees. And then he paused while we were wrestling. And he said, wait, dad, are we for them or against them? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And that became the first page of the book, but it also became the question to me and say, okay, there are all kinds of policy issues that are hard, Mm. but the question of are we for them or against them is not hard because we know God is for them. That's right. And and we need to be as well. Oh, that sounds so powerful. I've got to get my hands on that book. Again, the title is You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us by Kent Annan, who is here with us. Kent, I want to go back to the vaccine, if you don't mind, one more time. Mm Because we all know there are a lot of reasons out there, even a lot of rumors about the vaccine, why we should not take it. I would love to hear from your perspective. What are reasons we have for taking the vaccine? That's a great question, Aubrey. And I think it's so, so good in all these situations. Think what, you know, as the debates happen, it can all get negative, criticizing each other. But, you know, what is our opportunity for love and witness here? I think is a question I always ask. And so uh, Jamie and I at, at HDI have been working on this. We were really thinking, oh, there are these four positive reasons for doing this. One is to care for our community, especially those who have health reasons that they're vulnerable. So this is a way to love vulnerable neighbors in our community, which, of course, should guide us. As Christians, the second is to take care of our bodies. God's given us stewardship over our bodies. And so taking a vaccine is a way to be good stewards of that responsibility. And then a third is that we've been giving stewardship of creation and we have like been given these minds where we can understand science. When I say we, it's not me. It's these other brilliant scientists somewhere <laughs> who are doing this incredible research, you know, so quickly to move to a vaccine. So I think we're honoring God's uh 
gifts that God's given us, as well as stewardship uh, of science when we can have these breakthroughs that are going to save so many people's lives. And then the fourth is, I think, when we do these things well and act out of love and act with good stewardship, that we can be good witnesses to Christ mm-hmm. in our love for our neighbors and for our communities, for ourselves and for our, our love of truth uh, as well. So I think these are really great positive ways that the vaccine can move beyond just being a shot and keeping one person immune. It's this bigger impact that we can have through it as well. Absolutely. And you you also, as we said, authored the book, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. Uh, You know, we've had Matt Sorens on the show multiple times to talk about refugees and immigrants. But what is something that, you know, myself or Aubrey or just other people out there who aren't as invested in this issue just don't understand? Right. Because, you know, we just hear sound bites on TV or something. What is something about the refugees and immigrant issues that maybe just the rest of us don't understand that would be helpful for us? Yeah, Matt's, Matt's great. And a colleague, he actually teaches in our master's program here as well awesome. for us in the online oh, nice. program. Um, I think uh, it's a great question to circle back a little bit to what Aubrey's question was as well. And, you know, I teach this class and there are all kinds of these complex policy issues and there are going to be debates. Some we can have an impact on, some we don't. But I think one thing that is helpful for people to know is how much relationships and friendships make a difference mm. in this process. So you think of someone who's left everything behind. They've often been in the refugee process for 7 to 15 years along the way to move to a new place and, you know, to have to get a job and integrate. Like, that's hard for anybody. Anyone who's moved anywhere or started at a new school or went to college the first time, you can remember those kind of discomforting first feelings of trying to fit in. Then you take that and multiply it by a 1,000. And I, so I think that's uh, something we can do as individuals, as churches, as business leaders, as pastors, as people in a church is, is really making that extra effort of friendship. They can fill in some of the gaps. Uh, it's not forcing ourselves on anyone, of course. It has to be mutually desired. But I think when we can step into those areas and then see what naturally emerges from relationship where we're listening uh, and finding out where we can help most uh, is a really beautiful way. And often it really is just friendship and maybe other things emerge as well. Um, but I think that's something for us all to remember, because then we aren't so as overwhelmed by the big debate when we know we can also right. make a difference in the small ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And what an image of, of God's friendship he has with us that we can model that with uh, some of the refugee folks or the immigrant folks. I think that's so beautiful. I want to step back one more time, if you don't mind, Kent, because we've referenced the Humanitarian Disaster Institute that you're a part of. But I don't know that we've said to our listeners, what is the Humanitarian Disaster Institute? What are you all about? What are you focusing on? What do you do there? Yeah, great question. So it's a faith-based research institute on disasters and humanitarian issues, the first of its kind in the U.S. and housed here at Wheaton College. And we really have uh, several things we do, but one is to do research. So doing research about, uh, you know, how do we help respond to people? What are mental health issues after response? What's good leadership in NGO work? And when we say response, it would be to something like to a hurricane here in the U.S., to a tsunami or earthquake in another country, to refugee crisis, you know, so in all these different ways, we're doing research on how we can best respond uh, to help people. And then another part is we have this master's degree program. So people who want to, for the typical er, typical areas people go into is refugee work, international development, um, kind of domestic work on like with FEMA on emergency issues, and also in human trafficking. So we're preparing leaders through this institute to go out and 
uh, and work in humanitarian issues to help people who are really vulnerable. And then we do a lot of outreach, you know, writing op-eds, getting to talk with you and things mm-hmm. so that we're, we're trying mm-hmm. to tell the story and, tell, and equip people. We have this blog and podcast called The Better Samaritan. And so that really encapsulates this other part of what we do as an institute is, you know, all of us can keep getting better. We're not saying we're the better Samaritans. We're saying we and all of us have an opportunity to keep getting better at how we love others. And that's helping the person who was beat up and robbed by the side of the road in the Jesus yeah. In the story Jesus told, but it's also helping to make the road safer uh, for those who are going to come later down the Jericho Road, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. So, so that's really what we're doing here at the Institute. Great. Kent Annan is the Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College, the author of a book called You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. Also, as he said, Kent and Jamie Atten have a blog called The Better Samaritan at Christianity Today. Uh, lots of good, th- lots of good things going on over there at the, uh, Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Ken, it is great to meet you. It's good to meet a fellow, uh, Wheaton College, uh, weedy. person. Yeah, another weedy. <laughs> and so we'll have you on again sometime. This was really a great time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, love, love being with you. Thanks for what you're doing, Aubrey and Brian. Great spending the time with you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for giving us some of your time today, uh, whether you're listening live on the radio at four from 4 until 6 on AM 1160 or whether you're listening to the podcast. Uh, it's been a crazy, crazy season, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk here in a second about what's it look like as churches reopen, as life becomes more normal. But want to just acknowledge that uh, for the last... 14, 15 months for many of us on varying degrees, it's just been real hard and, it, and it's really shaken our faith and yeah. it's really just been difficult. And, you know, I, I think uh, I was thinking about that. You and I both, we talked about this yesterday, we both saw a uh, a trailer to a new movie that's coming out, The Girl Who Believes in Miracles. Oh, I'm so excited about this movie. Yeah, it's going to be a fun movie. It stars the Oscar winner Mira Sorvino. Uh, Emmy Award winner Peter Coyote and as a uh, title song on uh, soundtrack Lauren Daigle who doesn't love Lauren Daigle? she is Come so on. gifted she's so amazing I know this movie looks so sweet especially like you said after a year and a half almost of just discouragement and sadness it's a movie about a young girl's faith a faith that really like changes her community and I think it's going to be an encouraging one for families to see together and one that's just gonna I don't know, uplift all of us at a time when we need some uplifting. Yeah. And it, like you said, you and I have only seen the trailer. Uh, looking forward to seeing the movie. But the trailer looks really, really engaging as mm-hmm. people wrestle with what does faith look like? Does God still work supernaturally? Right. How, how do we put that together? You know, the faith of a child. And so uh, it, it really looks good. Let me tell you where you could find out about it. You can learn more about the movie and get tickets at a theater near you You can, by visiting the girl who believes in miracles dot com. Let me give you that website one more time. The girl who believes in miracles dot com. Check that out. Looks like a wonderful movie. Uh, well, as we close out the show, the week, 
uh, I wanted to do some, again, kind of pointing us forward. And, and there was an interesting um, survey out of Barna, if anyone knows, but the Barna group is kind of like the Christian surveyor. Surveyor? Would that be right? Survey company? Survey. People? Yes. All of those things. That's who Barna, the Barna group is. That's right. I think surveyors, those are your people who like look at your land, right? That's what I was saying. They do the land. So this is the consensus people, statistic people. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's really funny. So Barta came out with what people missed most at church this last year. Mm. Uh, and so even if your church has been open, uh, it still hasn't fully been open, right? You're, there's still stuff you miss. Or you could be like your church, Aubrey, where you and Kevin have, were sharing that you guys just met for Easter for the first time. For the first uh, time. Person, this past Sunday. And uh, and so all of us, it's been a loss this year. Let's put it this way. And Definitely. Uh, there are things that we've missed. Before we look at what the number uh, it's kind of like the family feud right like what was the number one answer was number two in this how would you answer this question maybe give uh, you one or two when when someone says what have you missed most about gathering for church this year you know it's funny about that brian is as pastors and you'll understand this is kevin and i were kind of saying wow we sure have enjoyed having weekends off for the first <laughs> time in our marriage and so i was a little believe it or not, hesitant to get back because Sunday mornings are crazy for pastors and for their families. But the moment we walked into our church service, I mean, the people, I miss worshiping with people. And I, by that, I mean, singing worship songs together Mm -hmm. with the people of God. My heart was so full worshiping with our church. And then I'm a communion gal. We take communion every week at Renewal, and I have missed taking communion with God's People, what have you missed, Brian? Hold on. You need a T-shirt, by the way, that just says, I'm a communion gal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that as a quote on our Instagram page. I'm a communion gal. <laughs> how, how would we describe Aubrey Sampson? I'm She's a, a communion, communion gal. gal. She's a real typical communion gal. When you think of communion gals, you just think of Aubrey. <laughs> what does that mean? Put, we don't want to give her a label or put her in a box like we talked about in the first the beginning. <laughs> right, of the right. This is the one we're going to give her. I'm a communion gal. <laughs> That was really good. Well, here's what the study. F- All right. Well, you asked me, what do I miss? I want to know what you miss. Yep. Yep. So as a pastor, of course, as the as the primary preacher, you miss like preaching to a full room and seeing people's faces. But yeah. I've said this since the beginning. What I miss more than this, and this gets at my uh, my personality more, even more than the full room and this and that, I miss standing at the back door and just hugging people and oh, laughing as they go. You're a great Favorite pastor. Thing. That's cool. I just love it. And even now that we're reopened, you know, at diminished amounts, I stand at the back door, but it's just not the same. You're like elbowing people. Yeah, and, yeah, right, right. I mean, it used to just be laughing and hugging with people. So while you're a communion gal, I'm a hugging guy. <laughs> <laughs> the quote for Instagram right there. She's a uh, communion gal. I'm a hugging guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, if this were the family feud on uh, what churchgoers miss most about in-person services for the Barna Group, you might be surprised by this. The number one answer at 24% communion. <gasps> Everyone's a communion gal. Communion is number one at 24% wow, followed wow. closely. A little bit of what I just said at 23%. Uh, socializing with other congregants before and after the worship service. Yeah, so not even during other ones that made the list 21% uh, listening to a live service or sermon. Sure. sure. Uh, 19% said a chance to connect with like-minded people. Hmm. Uh, 17% said that, that all kind of, you know, 
that kind of awkward greeting time during the service. Hey, turn and greet the <laughs> turn people. Turn and greet by your you. neighbor. Yep. Yes. Uh, 10% said Sunday school or Bible study, 8% yeah. corporate prayer. And listen to 4%. You're going to so appreciate this. 4% said child care during the service. <laughs> I'm surprised that 4% is that like 84%, you know? 4% of the church, 90% of parents said. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That is really funny. So uh, I do love to picture that day that's coming forward. All right, let's talk to that person out there who's like, I might not go back. You even acknowledged kind of like staying home. It's kind of nice. Nice to have a break. Yeah. Uh, But paint the picture for the person who's like, I may not go back. I, you know, it's been a year. My life's been okay. Maybe I'll Mm. watch it online. Maybe I won't. What what is a word for that person? I think a word for that person is yes, I get it. I totally get it. It's so much easier to be in your pajamas and stay at home on a Sunday morning. And in some cases we need that rest, but there is no replacement for community. There's no replacement for Christian community. And our faith is not just an individual faith. Our faith is a global faith, a communal faith. It is a faith that calls us to be a family and be a body. And so Mm -hmm. we need each other to give us the strength. I mean, I feel like Sunday morning gives me the strength to keep going throughout the week. We all need that. And so I would say, get back to church. Don't make any more excuses. Try it out at least for several Sundays in a row and just see what God does and see how encouraged you are. Yeah. I mean, the book of Hebrews says, don't don't neglect meeting together. That's and then right. what's it say right after that? And spur one another on. Like they're yep. tied to each other. It spurs you on. And if for nothing else, go back because the empty room makes your pastor sad. <laughs> That's true. Do it for your pastor who needs you for his uh, ego, if nothing the, else. <laughs> the, the communion gal and the hugging guy, they need other people there for it to have its, uh, its true meaning. So go ahead and get back. You can read the survey up on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, it's been a fun week. It's been a and, great week, uh, Brian. Yeah, it's been really good. Have a great weekend. Aubrey and I are going to be back together on Monday from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope that you have a great weekend. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.